Hello, everybody. Welcome as we continue on in our study of the New Testament. This is part number 250. Good for you. Five, almost five years in. And uh, Revelation chapter 17, we've been working through it, mostly a chapter at a time. And we're, we're on the last few. We have uh, six. Revelation 22 is where it ends. And then we'll pick right up that following week in Genesis 1, and we're going to keep on marching through. We're going to march through the Old Testament. Fifteen years, and we'll be, we'll be that. You guys will be in your 30s. <laughs> that just hit Ben hard. Oh, no. <laughs> He's like, I, I, yeah, no. <laughs> so um, we're in the 17th chapter of Revelation. It was... Uh, as we were singing tonight, and it was so sweet, you know, just enjoying Christmas and the presence of the Lord and, and the sweetness and the thoughts of it all. And then I'm, I'm thinking, well, I got a really heavy, <laughs> Revelation 17 kind of doesn't really fit with Christmas songs and, and uh, sweet lights and everything. But, you know, here we are, and we're, we're hanging on to a schedule, and uh, we'll keep pressing on um, and in. And it's all good, because, you know, remember, as we study Revelation now, even, we can't, we don't understand everything. That's okay. There's a lot of symbolic stuff in the book of Revelation um, that I don't think we will understand. There's different ways of interpreting Revelation. And, you know, I've told you there's, there's main ones. You know, there's a, there's a view that says all this stuff already happened. There's a view that says it's all symbols and, and none of it's going to happen. It's just a picture of good and evil. Um, there, you know, there's this idea that it's sort of been spread out throughout the church age. And um, personally, I hold more to a futurist view which says that it hasn't happened yet. Anything after, you know, the first three chapters is, is what's waiting. And so because I kind of believe that one more, I will bring up the other ones when I understand them or can bring them in, but mostly I'm looking from that point of view, so please understand that. And if you don't have that point of view, I'm okay with that. This isn't a deal breaker as far as I'm concerned. Um, that we don't, we don't, we just have to, okay, and press in and press on and study. And all those things are really good. But... Uh, you know, remember that um, it's a revelation of Jesus, and we can learn about Jesus, and we learn a lot in the, in the picture of what's taking place, and even struggling through the wrath of God, and, and hopefully realizing how horrendous sin is, and never making light of sin. In our, we, we had Bible Institute group today with, um, with uh, the young, young leaders, and um, they, they're just moving in now into the um, Old Testament, and we just finished up the New Testament with them, and so it's different with the other group. And we were talking up there about sacrifice, um, and, you know, there was, I, I said to them, we, we forget how, um, in, in the Old Testament, when the sacrificial system was first put in place, oftentimes you would, you of the sacrifice being offered you would be you would lay your hand on the animal that was being sacrificed for your sins you'd be looking him in the eye you were you were attached you were aware of the um, the horror of sin and how badly how, how much it took to keep your relationship with God intact I mean you were aware of the depth of sin and it's and the problems it caused and so it was you know it's horrific in that sense and and really you know the the crucifixion is is the same picture of of that thing, you know, we were removed from it to a point in, in that, um, you know, it's not as, as the people who you know, sort of experienced it certainly would have remembered it. And, um, but I think even as we, we look at the, the wrath of God being poured out here at the end and evil being dealt with once and for all, that um, it's because of, of the horrible impact and nature of sin and that it had to be dealt with. 
And it's not to be ever to be taken lightly. And so you, you sort of hold that into um, your mind when, you, when you're reading through Revelation and what that looks like. This is Revelation chapter 17. And um, it's where the seven um, last judgments have been, we watched them get poured out uh, in, in chapter 16. And now we're seeing some of the follow-up of, of what's happening there. And as you start to look in chapter 17, um, the exact way it's written, it talks about the great prostitute named Babylon the Great. And um, most people believe, most commentators, biblical theologians believe it's a, it's a picture of apostate religion, a counterfeit faith. And, and that what happens is during this last period of this last tribulation era of seven years, um, at the last part of it, at some point in time, the, the um, governmental system that the evil one has put in place, you know, in, in, in allegiance with his unholy trinity there, um, is now joined by this apostate, this false religion, uh, and this false religion also joins in the persecution of Christians. And, and so I think one of the things we can see is, um, and uh, <laughs> you know what, it's, it's not enough to believe, it's in whom you believe that makes the difference. And, and we always need to make sure that religion in, in you know, the, the word is really sort of man's attempt at trying to get this themselves right with God, and it's, it's faulty in so many ways. You know, really we're looking for that relationship with Jesus um, and, and that's what um, begins to happen. And then filled with the Spirit, you know, we, we begin to live differently, not by um, rules written down, but by the Spirit's work on our hearts and, and then operating from the, the, the life that we have in the Spirit um, and, and then you know, te- Him teaching us how to live this life. But um, this, this false religion, this apostate religion springs up and uh, unifies itself with this unholy government that's in place by the enemy and all of this now is attacking the church um, or um, attacking the believers that are around still during the tribulation time and whatever that looks like. And again, depending on your viewpoint of what the church is during the tribulation, is it, is it here? Has it, uh, has it been here for the half of the thing? Has it been here for the whole thing? Or, you know, hopefully we get to skip it, and, uh, but whatever. God is with us, and that's part of understanding Revelation 2. We don't need to be afraid or concerned of any of those things because God is with us and for us, and he has us, and no matter what, he has us um, so that we will spend life with him forever. All right, Revelation 17, 18 verses. I'll read them to you, then we'll chat about it for a few minutes. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came to me and said, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert. And there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. This title was written on her forehead, Mystery Babylon the great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. 
the inhabitants of the earth whose names have been written, who have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the, mount, the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for a little while. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who you have not yet received, have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them because he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Blessed be the word of the Lord. You know, on second thought, that doesn't need any explanation at all. Let's close. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> okay. So, the destruction of Babylon that we begin to saw, see in, in Revelation 16 is described here in greater detail. And the great prostitute, the apostate religion, joined with the evil government of the unholy trinity is... And, and you know, it's, it's sort of the, the opposite of the bride of Christ. This description of the great prostitute is, a, is like Satan's counterfeit of... The relationship that we have with Jesus where we're the bride. The bride is pure. The bride is, is attempting to live in, in obedience and, and waiting for the return of Jesus. And, and yet this false system is none of those things. It, it, um, the, the, the false apostate religion uses immoral means to do whatever it can do, to get whatever it wants, to, to use for its own pleasures and, and uh, its own prosperity. It doesn't care about people. Um, you know, these are always the hallmarks you're going to see of false religion. They don't, they stop caring about people. They, they become extremely law-bound, and, and uh, they lose all traces of grace and mercy, and it becomes very much a, a sort of a money thing, and um, they begin to lose sight of why they were there. And, and apparently this will um, be huge in this tribulation period. That's what's going to rise up. Um, in, in this end time and it will form this bond with the, um, the government at that time uh, of the world this world government that's all these kings that they're talking about and, and everything that will pop up but always remember it's for a very short period of time now we're, we're, we're locked into a seven year period anyway and um, this, the, the, most of this is going to happen at halfway following alright and like I said upside that, that little Thessalonians passage that we studied that um, along with the feast of Israel that trumpet one that we talked about and why I believe it at trumpets boop we get to miss this we don't have to be here for that part of the ride we get a better one and we're hanging around waiting for Revelation 19 and we get to come back with Jesus following him when he charges back to set everything right that's my hope but we'll see um, either way he's got us and it's going to be all right 
It's going to be okay. So then the angel takes John into the wilderness so he can see the reality of what's really going on. You know, he can sort of step away from it and take a look at it. And the, the scarlet beast that's described here, it's either the dragon or the beast out of the sea that we were introduced to in chapters 12 and 13. Okay, so, so you have this picture going on. Then in verses 6 through 8, um, it's this, this tremendous persecution of believers that's taking place, but that's not new. And, and so this persecution of believers has been happening since the time of Jesus. He, he warned us that it would be a part of the deal, persecution, and it has never stopped. And it's, it's most likely at its worst at this point in history than it's ever been um, throughout history. Um, you know, um, uh, over in this last century alone, you know, the, the beginning of this one and the, the one right before us, uh, millions of believers have been killed by oppressive governments. And um, it, it's a picture of this, this the, the woman's the symbol, symbol of this apostate mess um, and her evil accomplishments and the, the enemy's constant movement to try and destroy the church by um, persecuting its people. And, and yet there's something about uh, uh, the amazing thing. When, when the church is persecuted, it tends to thrive. Um, there's other ways for it to thrive, but it thrives under persecution. Um, it's, a, it's a direct response to the attack of the enemy. And, and, um, and it's ongoing in the world today. Um, any religious, you know, persecution is basically the systematic mistreatment of an individual or group simply because of their belief. Uh, and so the, the persecution is unwarranted. And this is what happens with believers all over the world. They're perse- persecuted only and simply because of what they believe and in whom they believe. And, and it happens all over the world. Um, and Jesus said in John 15, 20, if they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. We know they certainly did. And, in, and uh, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 12, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So all believers face a measure of persecution, some far worse than what we would ever experience or have experienced here, but we catch our own edge. Our persecution is different. We're sort of ridiculed um, by the culture. Believers, you've experienced that, right? I mean, I get it all the time. When I, I deal with people all the time who look at me and go, how can you still believe that? It's 2014. And I'm like, what's the day got to do with anything? But they're convinced that, you know, we're, I'm, I'm just... And it's... I've, you know, my favorite thing is to meet with people that, and they don't know I'm a pastor, and they don't figure that out for a while, because then they have to deal with a whole new set of circumstance, because they have a pre-sort of thought about what they should be dealing with, and if they haven't gotten that, I'm way at, you know what I mean? Then they have to, that's when they, then you can see them going, well, that doesn't make sense. And uh, I, I thought you were way smarter than that. Yeah, and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and so we, we catch a measure of that. Um, but, at, you know, at this point in history, it's not, you know, what they're experiencing all over the world. But persecution happens. Um, and it's, it's, it's um, a pers- the persecution of the church isn't an ideological one. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a spiritual one. The enemy hates the church. Uh, you, have a, you have a stated enemy. He hates you. We've told you you're the church, and you have an enemy that hates you. He hates you. And, uh, and so he stirs up this persecution all over the world. Um, and I, I just wanted to get some stats. You know, I saw, I, I, um, you know, I used to do a lot of mission work in Cuba from 95 to 2005. I was there three or four times a year planting churches. And we would meet with them, and um, they had a they they intensely persecuted the church. They allowed it at some levels, 
um, sort of strictly managed, but they persecuted the leaders all the time. And then the, the way they were trying to get the church to stop was at the, they went at the kids. And if the children were in school, and they, have, they all go to school, they have a good school system over there. In the school system, though, if the children were identified as Christians, they weren't allowed to participate in sports. And yeah, can you imagine kids having to process that? Because really, when, when you live in a really poor country, like this, what, that's all you got. And they took it away from them. Okay, if that's who you are, you can't play sports. So, I mean, they... they uh, now, persecution, though, always flips around on the people persecuting the church. And the, ch- the church has thrived in Cuba and still does, underground in many places, but it thrives. And we would go... You know, when I was in Cuba, we, you wouldn't believe what it would take like to start a church. We, we started a church one time. We called it Light Bulb Church. We were in Cuba, and we, we went into this apartment complex, and, and, and there was probably, I don't know, this much space, like a hallway in this apartment complex that ran down, and there was an apartment on one side and an apartment on the other, and it just so happened there was believers on each side. And, and so they gave us permission. We went and took a cord. We found a piece of, which was tricky in Cuba, an electrical cord, and, and we fashioned a light socket in the middle, and we stretched it between the two things, and we said, come on, we're going to have church. And we had church, man, and we worshiped, and we prayed, and the Spirit of God fell, and things were happening all over the place, and that took off. That stayed there for, you know, for as long as I can remember. That We called it light bulb church, and we would go back and visit, and they kept that thing going. So the, it would just start. We had churches in garages, there was a garage. It was so tiny one time, and literally, they'd get 200 people in it. I'm like, it doesn't even, I don't even know how that's physically possible. Um, and it would just happen. And, and it was fascinating to watch, but they were intensely persecuted. The leaders that we would work with, um, you know, we would try, and, but they would see us, and the, the, somebody would rat them out, and they would, they would get hauled in for questioning, and they'd get taken away, and huge deal. But um, uh, the church... The church thrives in that condition. But I looked some of this stuff up. That more Christians were martyred in the 20th century than in all other centuries combined. How about that? You would think, oh, that doesn't happen anymore. 105,000 Christians, they believe, are martyred for their faith each year. Killed, not just persecuted. Lose their lives. Um, over 100 million readers, routers report in 2000, 100 million Christians, pardon me, are being persecuted worldwide. That's major news outfit. 70% of the world's population lives in a religiously intolerant environment. 70%. North Korea is the, world's, the worst country in the world for persecution. 2014. Persecuting believers. Iran, and you think, well, some of these others, you think, really? But in Iran... Um, the parliament there believes that Muslims who change their faith to Christianity should be put to death. In India, Barbara just got back from there. In Orissa, you know where, you heard of Orissa? Where's Barbara? Yeah? 70,000 Christians have been forced to flee their homes in riots against them. They've been, mis- they've just been kicked out. In Indonesia, uh, in early, in 2000, between 2000 and 2002, 10,000 Christians were killed by, slaughtered by Muslims. In Iraq, Half of the um, Iraq's Christians have fled the country since the fall of Saddam Hussein and ISIS. Recently, um, uh, 100,000 Christians fled the plain of Nineveh, where a lot of the Christians were. Up and, and in northern Iraq, ISIS occupies all the churches and the homes of believers now. Just took them over, kicked them out, just because of whom they believe in, and either killed them or forced them to leave. 
um, Egypt, same things happen. Coptic Christians are all being forced to leave their homes. They're just told they can't be there anymore and they're kicked out. Uh, this is going on all over the world. So I want to bring that up. Um, it's, it's happy news. Uh, um, so you pray for them. We, you know, those of us that live where there's less need to be praying, less person praying for the ones that are enduring it. But um, God will still see them through. And uh, no matter what happens, it's worth it. It's worth it. But it's, it's horrible. And it's, it, you know, understand then that's the, that's the evil one. That's what he does. And, and his old domain is sin and everything else. And so it's never, when I ever think about that, it's just never take it lightly. Never, oh, well, no big deal. It's a huge deal. And it takes a lot to, to get us straight. So we need to be living by trying to do the next right thing. We'll still make mistakes. We'll fall, but let's never let it go lightly. Um, in verses 9 through 15, that, that, that um, the city that's known for its seven hills is, is most likely Rome. A lot of this is veiled references to Rome at the time, which was the representative evil empire um, and sort of represents evil for all time and all generations. And, um, and yet what happens is, and what's coming as hard as this stuff is to read, is the ultimate destruction of evil. God's dealing with it like he said he would. It's coming to an end, and there will be a fixed point in history where it's done. It will be done once and for all. And then in um, the last couple of verses, this, this, um, the false religion, um, the, the alliance she has made with the false government, the false government turns on her and destroys her as well. Um, the, the whole picture, which is, is how evil exists. Um, it's destructive by its own nature, and, and they destroy one another when they cease serving their own purposes. So, um, having said all that, you know, what we end up with is no matter what we face, no matter what we're going through, no matter what's going on, we always trust God and enjoy him for whatever the day brings and never take it lightly and, and always remember that's what's going on. And God's plans are going to happen just the way he says they will. And uh, you, can, you can rest in and find hopefully comfort in that. So, that's enough of Revelation for today. And uh, I think it's interesting stuff. This isn't like a whoo-hoo chapter. You're going to feel, chapter 19, much better. Jesus on a, Jesus on a white horse coming back. Like, yeah! This one's like, ah, Heavy, but necessary. We're going to do the whole thing. You've got to take the, the hard with the easy and the good and the, everything else in the mix. All right? So if you're watching my video, thank you. And uh, if you need prayer, go to the webpage. And there's a prayer spot there. Put your prayers in. We'll pray for you, okay? But that's good for tonight. Thank you very much. If you have prayer requests, you can pass.